and, and it's scary. I'm, I'm one year deep in, in my own practice here and uh, it's, it still scares me, you know, every day, but I have a great, great network. But uh, the, the thing that's been the most fulfilling is, is I really got back to enjoying treating patients again. Uh, back to another episode of champion school a new year new champion school chris Garing joining us on the podcast today and that was recorded before the break so it's been a little bit since we've been able to get it up but now we're going to be stepping into a great interview with him a physical therapist and owner of his own facility switchback therapy awesome interview stay with us for that before i get to that i'm ray mack that's bzb how you doing man we're doing good, man. We're rolling here. Happy New Year uh, to everybody who's tuning back in. Uh, this is a great interview. Super excited about this one. Um, Chris is an awesome dude. So authentic and genuine. So excited for what this has to come and offer to the crowd here today. That's right. Quick note, uh, our pod or our NFT, not our pod, our pobs have uh, have been selling well. Uh, we have a lot of people in the community that have been really fired up about them uh, and it's really starting to take off. So we want to just thank all of you for helping us raise $18,000 so far for youth sports. I uh, wanted to get that out there right away. If you ever want to help us with that, we can help you direct you into that crypto world uh, if it's a little bit scary. And if not, uh, get yourself over to projectsandlotmint.com and make sure you have some ETH and your MetaMask and you'll be able to help us out and, and purchase there. So that's growing. I uh, wanted to get that out of the way quick, but before we get to the interview down the line, let's get into this week's good news. All right. Good news of the week. Uh, first of all, $18,000 raised for Project Sandlot was the first point. I had to hit on that right away, so we got that out of the way. But number two, Shaq. Shaq, Shaq. Diesel, the man, dude. So uh, Shaq is one of the most giving people on the planet, uh, and he's obviously a, a large human being. So you, you see uh, Santa Shaq walking down the road, you know it's him. But uh, he bought 1,000 PlayStations and 1,000 Nintendo Switches and took them into some kids that were at the hospital over the Christmas break. Um, I just wish we had the money to do that for kids all the time because that is such mm. a cool thing. Uh, what did you think about it? I talked about this a little bit earlier. Yeah, dude, seeing Shaq smile is awesome. <laughs> he's an awesome dude, and seeing what he's doing for kids is, is really cool. But just seeing the smiles on those kids' faces, man, being able to give back like that and use his resources to do so, he's doing amazing things. And his NFT project's been awesome, too, where he's uh, using that to raise funds for kids as well. So just seeing people use technology to do good is really exciting. And then, obviously, somebody of his stature and just fame, right? The dude's been around. Everybody knows Shaq, and uh, he wears a lot of different hats, man. I love his entrepreneurial vibe, and he's doing a great job impacting people really really cool check gives back is the nft for anybody asking but uh yeah he does a great job i think it was really cool i wanted to bring that up for the good news of the week so um moving next i think you guys have noticed but uh hey, let's go grinds, grinds uh, let's go baby <laughs> so yeah so super cool again grinds uh jumping on board with us uh, we're gonna get you guys a, a discount code to throw it in there um but this week's not I know what it is. Chew on this. <laughs> hmm. 
chew on this. We hit on it last night. Uh, for any of you guys in the Project Sandlot world, we're doing a kind of like a weekly town hall type thing. Sandlot meetups going to be Wednesdays around 530 Pacific Standard Time. But this week we talked about perspective. I thought you hit on it. It was really good. Uh, I almost want you just to tap into that real quick again. I have a couple things to add to it uh, that I thought were cool, but some of your uh, tips were some things that brought up to me this morning as well. So tap into perspective for some folks that are listening. Yeah, I think perspective was a big one and it's, it's kind of just came into the last couple of weeks uh, this week, even being sick, being perspective, having the perspective of health and just what we're doing. And also the perspective to take a break and just sit down for a second and chill and, and not go crazy and try and do everything at once. So um, perspective, just trying to take a step back and see things for what it is. Uh, a way I like to look at it is what what lens do we see the world through? Um, if I think about bifocals, like I'm changing them through, right? What lens am I seeing it through? And some of us see it through different lenses every day. And so uh, for each one of us, just be aware of ourselves, uh, see things for what they are, and then be grateful for what we have. There's so many people in, in worse off positions, not that that should be something we tout, but something that we recognize that we're really lucky, right? To be where we are and have the health that we have, be able to walk and, and run and move and just be alive is huge and have health. So uh, perspective, man, it's been a big deal for for me this at least new year so far and i think for a lot of us we're starting to see it through the last couple of years that we've been experiencing and, and shape, shaping our perspective of our own, own lives so um, that's what i had on that ray what do you got yeah no you're you're dead on i think the three tips that kind of brought to my attention and you had mentioned nature yesterday mm-hmm. as one way that you you like to find perspective uh i think getting out even seeing the stars right is mm-hmm. is your kind of puts your your issues in a pretty pale space uh, when looking at it that way. Um, another one is just trying to switch your your viewpoint, right? So going, hey, how would somebody else see my situation right now? You know, mm-hmm. how is somebody else going to look at me being frustrated that I can't afford this car that I want, right? Like, what if I'm that kid that you know can't find food to eat? You know, so shifting who is looking at your issue or problem, I think, is another good way to get into that perspective mindset, and then um, adapting a different time frame. I think is another big one. If you're looking to get better at your hitting, right, in your offense, uh, you know, you're not going to go from being a 200 hitter to being a 400 hitter in one offensive session, but you might start driving the ball a little bit better that day. You know, you might be taking some better, cleaner swings the next day. And those steady little bits of growth are going to allow you to get you to your target, but you can't look at the big picture all the time and go, I'm not there yet, you know, cause that will limit us all and, and shut us all down. And uh, perspective again, is something that I think we're going to take with us this year and, and kind of run with. So great call. Let's jump into the interview. Chris Gehring again. Uh, switchback physical therapy owner the dude's got a great mind he uh he does a good job of forming some of his terms because he's a great very smart dude uh, after re-listening to the interview i didn't get to be a part of it but you and jared dominated so um let's get into it and we'll kind of touch on it afterwards chris care What is up, y'all? Welcome back to the Champion School Podcast. I am Austin Byler. We got JP Perkins in the building and a very special guest, Chris Gehring. Um, we're super pumped to have you, Chris. How are you doing this morning? Not bad. Still trying to get used to the uh, 8.30 sunrise in Seattle, but um, nothing like a cup of joe to get me going. So thanks for hey, having me. I've been having it, and this is going to, maybe we're foreshadowing the, the future game that we're going to play. At least you were prepped for this game. But I was thinking, I've got my, I like black coffee. And uh, I've got the Dunkin' Donuts 
coffee and we haven't been feeling the Dunkin' Donuts lately. Like for some reason, when you go buy the coffee at a coffee shop, it just tastes better. I don't know why. (laughs) And it's not good for the budget, but it's judging you for the Dunkin' train. Oh, Dunkin's big on the East Coast. I guess Starbucks, Seattle. I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a Starbucks. Uh, I can I can walk to it. It's, it's two and a half minutes from my place. I mean, it's there. You you pay for convenience. It tastes great. It's the the interaction. I think it's all it's a, it's the experience, right? It's not about the coffee. It's about the experience. Yes. I mean, <laughs> they know and my the name in there. Oh, what's know that? The name yeah. I was gonna say and the Wi-Fi too. Man, sometimes <laughs> exactly. Like, that's a big. That's a big. Uh, like, hey, that, that's gonna teeter top me one way or the other. If the Wi-Fi is a little choppy. I'm not coming back to your coffee shop, you know, Exactly. <laughs> but uh, cool. Man. Well, no, we're pumped to have you, man. And thanks for getting up early on a, on a, what, what's today? Wednesday, geez, Wednesday up in Seattle. But um, for you, Chris, kind of fill us in on, on what you do exactly. And some of your background kind of leading into what you're doing now and, and how you're impacted and helping a lot of people here in this world. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Um, I graduated from uh, Northern Arizona University with with my doctorate. I did my bachelor's in exercise science and psychology um, back at uh, Arizona State. Uh, Graduated 2013. Uh, Came up to Seattle uh, just kind of on a whim. uh, Try before you buy, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. I was tired of the 116 degrees. I grew up playing baseball out there, and I got tired of the heat. I love being outdoors. I love being active. Um, And I I found, you know, six months of the year I, I was doing it, but I was miserable. Uh, so we had the opportunity to do uh, clinical rotations outside of the state, and I found a sports medicine clinic up in uh, Kirkland, Washington, that uh, that was willing to take me on, and uh, wound up staying for two clinical rotations um, through the worst time of year, and I loved it so much. I only went back to Arizona for my stuff, and uh, here I am. So um, started in the corporate world, uh, like, like most new graduates, and. Um, 2020, the, the pandemic, uh, it really surfaced um, the whole, what am I doing here? And, and what am I being asked to do both to myself, my staff and my patients as I was running a clinic? And I, I didn't agree with, with, with some, you know, there, there's different mentalities and um, I decided to go a different direction. Um, I, I saw the company going one way and I saw my, my own personal and professional growth going another. So I branched off uh, had an opportunity to start my own practice, and I now do only home-based visits. So I go to you, and I went from seeing 16 people a day to five, and I went from wow. giving people 20 minutes of my time to an hour, and uh, it's been absolutely life-changing. So, yeah. Wow, that is so awesome. Uh, take us through and going through that moment there where you were kind of like teeter-totting again, right? It's like, do I go? Take the leap yeah. of faith or do I stay kind of where I'm comfortable and things are still fine? Um, take us through that that moment when you decided that hey, I'm, I'm, it's kind of time for me to, to pursue something greater and, and not maybe greater, but just something that's more passionate that speaks to your heart a little more there. Man, I remember that moment exactly. Uh, in June, I want to say it was beginning. I don't remember the exact date, but we uh, we were in the Sawtooths in Idaho. One of the, If you've ever been through or ever seen pictures of the Sawtooth region, um, one of the most absolute beautiful places uh, on this planet. And um there's snow-capped peaks. We had a campsite at a mount, uh, right on a lake, lakefront, and um, had a couple. Of, you know, just just a couple of. Uh, we, were, we were just getting the night started. Uh, just had a couple of beers and um, uh, with with my fiance and, uh, and and one of my best friends up here in Seattle. And uh, I had a, I had a mental breakdown. I just absolutely lost it. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's a 
like a 14 hour road trip or a 12 hour road trip to get out there and, and you get there and got that crisp mountain air. Uh, you got two of your best friends by your side and, and um, you think you think the world's great. And uh, from March to June, you just had three months of stress and three months of anxiety. Uh, pandemic ridden, absolutely. But there's these demands being placed upon you that were just pushing my physiological and emotional boundaries. And I had a breakdown and I said, mm. something needs to change. So. Wow. Um, and, and when you had that breakdown, Chris, like when you were going through that, I know, and, and you have so much experience, you've got your doctorate, right? You've been through a lot of schooling and, and I'm sure you've been equipped with a lot of different skills and tools that you can utilize yourself, but it's crazy how these things can happen to anybody too. And it's like the stress, the pressures, the, the external things that are coming to us, like you said, um, can really get in our way sometimes. Um, for you, what helped you get through that? Because I know when, when some people get to like that bottom level or like the lowest of lows, they hopefully can catapult up and, and find the true strength and their true character. And um, it's, it's obvious that you've done that here. But I know when you're in that moment, and, and for me personally, it's like I, I felt hopeless, I felt helpless, I felt like really worried and a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear, right? Really fear driven. But what kind of helped you start to progress out of that when you were in those kind of lowest of lows moments? Those are, those are all excellent points and kind of alluding to some of the things that we'll talk about later. Um, uh, but number one, the, so, the social support, I know that's been a common Ooh. theme throughout a, a lot of your, a lot of your talks here with, with a lot of your guests is, is the social support. Um, you, you gotta have the right people by your side that uh, understand how important it is for you to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Right. Um, but you know, I, I got through the night and, uh, you know, woke up the next morning and, and it was, it wound up being one of the best trips I've ever taken uh, here in the U S. Uh, but I, I took to, uh, I took to writing and, um, mm. I, I wrote, I wrote down some thoughts. I just, it was a very, very honest, uh, assessment of what I was feeling and how I was, uh, perceiving the situation both at work and, and with, with COVID. And I, I wound up posting a, a piece to Facebook, uh, just a very brutally honest op-ed sort of thing about just where I was and where we were in healthcare. And uh, that piece got seen by another local provider here that, that runs his own practice in Seattle. Uh, and it, it kind of put myself out there a little bit, but I, I, didn't, I didn't care too much. Uh, but that piece was seen and it, uh, he responded to me, said, uh, he, he reached out to me and said, this is awesome. This is why I do what I do. This is why I, I work for myself and, and make the decisions that I make. Um, if you're interested in hearing about uh, an opportunity for you to do the same thing, um, I'd like to at least just get to know you. And mm -hmm. that, that facilitated the collaboration that I have now. Um, so very thankful for that. So good. And I think the world kind of the universe, whoever, you know, people, it just kind of comes together sometimes. And for that one person to see that post, to see the article you wrote and, and kind of yeah. to see those things, right. And then boom, happens chance. You get that connection. That's incredible. Um, JP, I'll kick it off to you. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Just I, I Chris, just you, you and I have known each other for years mm -hmm. and it's, you talk about that social support and that is so huge mm -hmm. um, when it comes to trying to figure out and trying to make your way through the journey of your mental health battles and things like that. When you have that support group and then your ability to just go and start writing that. I mean, that's the one thing you're getting those thoughts out of your head. You're putting them down on paper and you're starting to feel like, okay, this is, I feel more organized. I can get myself to that next spot that I need to be. 
And so for you, I guess, um, as you've made the transition into uh, doing individual clinics, what's been like the most fulfilling thing? I know you talk about having outdoors as something that is uh, uh, truly um, huge for you. So do you have that opportunity to go outdoors more? Is that, uh, it's, so has that given you the flexibility to do more of the things that you love and enjoy in life? Yeah. So I, sometimes too much. <laughs> so you know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, what, you know, what, what am I going to do? I've only got three patients today. Um, but, but I'm, I'm still definitely, you know, I'm, I'm more than making ends meet and I, I have less stress. And, uh, um, the, the most important thing for me though, is that I've, I've been able to, and, and it's scary. I'm, I'm one year deep in, in my own practice here and, uh, it's, it still scares me, you know, every day, but I have a great, great network. But, uh, the, the thing that's been the most fulfilling is, is I really, got back to enjoying treating patients again um, because I can spend more time with them. I develop better relationships. And again, it goes down to the people. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you do this? One of the interview questions for me in PT school is why do you want to be a physical therapist and not an orthopedic surgeon? You're going to make more money as a surgeon. I said, you're absolutely right, but you're not going to spend much time with the people that you're operating on. Either either going to be knocked out or uh, you're on to the next one. And I, I didn't care about that. I didn't want to go through that. So um, I, I just finished writing, uh, about 80 Christmas cards, uh, in the past couple of nights, one Christmas card to every patient that I saw this year. And, and, um, in, in one of those cards very specifically, it's a mom and her daughter, uh, she played water polo, she plays water polo in high school. And, um, this opportunity has allowed me to understand the sport of water polo and understand more about the biomechanics of water polo. To help her and so it's, it's made me a better clinician um on top of that and so i i, I thank them for that so that's uh and, and i know th themes that you've touched on before that are both applicable to life and athletics is uh the importance of gratitude because of how that is wired in our brain and how that's networked in our brain to perceive our own happiness it triggers those those areas those cortical areas of your brain that um that provide happiness and that dopamine and endorphin release. So might be more than you bargained for with that question, but um, that's it. So I love no, it. I think it's awesome. Go ahead, Bert. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's just a huge thing. And it's like about the, the key thing that you touch on is developing relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's missing in society as we start to kind of move forward. Um, we, we're getting more isolated from each other. We're, look, we're looking or we're spending less time on building those relationships with other people. So I think that's huge. I kind of wanted to now kind of segue into uh, baseball athletics and physical therapy and recovering from injuries. Um, sure. I know you've, you've done a lot into this issue, but you've talked to me about how the mind plays a role in injury recovery. And I'd love to hear just a, more about that. Yeah, so I appreciate that. So that's that's obviously that's why I'm here today is to talk about and kind of bridge the link between those three th those three things. Uh, really, the 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 brain, pain, and the athlete. Right um, now, that that in of itself is is worthy of hours. And so, and I'm, you know, trying to consolidate that's a very broad topic. But I want to read something that I came across uh, just a couple of days ago, and this is this is just it's too cool. Um, it's it's absolutely amazing. Um, this is. This was published in the uh, Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine in September 2021, um, or at least 2021. I don't know what month, and uh, it's it's amazing. It's uh, the title of the article here is called "Association Between Musculoskeletal Pain and Psychological Stress Responses in High School Baseball Players." How cool is that? 
Like that is a research article, a peer-reviewed research article coming out of the uh, School of Medicine in uh, Fukushima, Japan. And somebody out there is recognizing that number one, there's an issue. Number two, it starts early. Number three, we need to get some more data on this so that we can mitigate it before it becomes chronic. And, and um, you know, we, we look at people like you've talked about it before. We've got Rick and Keel. We've got um, Drew Robinson. There's the, the examples are numerous, right? So what can we do at the high school level, the collegiate level, the, the um, even the little league level? Okay. And so what's really interesting about this article, and then I'm going to bring it full circle later on, is um, they found a, a significant association in between pitchers specifically rather than fielders um, and the, the interaction between the interference of playing time and low back pain or because of low back pain and severe psychological stress. So there, there was a statistically significant correlation between the amount of stress that these high school kids were, were undergoing. But what's really cool is, um, let's see if I can find it one second here. So in terms of variables that can affect psychosocial stress responses, higher performing teams may subject players to more pressure to succeed might have a better support system of coaches and teammates and might motivate players to practice harder and longer. Okay. Nearly all high school baseball players in the present study were competitive level athletes aiming to represent the Fukushima prefecture in the national high school baseball championship. This tournament is such a prominent national sports event that the public wants it to continue to be held even during the COVID pandemic. Japanese high school baseball players might be highly motivated, but they have also shown problems with overtraining. So I thought that was a really cool paragraph out of a, a journal of orthopedic sports medicine to acknowledge the demands of competitive high school baseball players. Okay. So I'm kind of alluded to some of the things that we can talk about a little bit later, but um, yeah. I think that's what, really, um, really oh, good. go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was going to say that's really good. <laughs> that's, that's really good. Keep, keep rolling, keep rolling. Perfect. So, uh, so, so we're going to work backwards on that just a little bit. And, and at any point, go ahead and just stop me, put a hand up. Um, I'm, you know, like you said, this is pretty free flowing here. So, uh, what, what really got me interested and passionate about this, of course, it's always personal, right? Um, I grew up playing baseball. I, I played my first couple of years in, in collegiate baseball, but, uh, you know, that, that's about where it ends. Um, and uh, injuries, of course, are what got me into PT as what does most PTs. Uh, couldn't stay healthy, so th that went that. Uh, back in January of this year, I broke a toe. All right, eh, broken toe, whatever, right? You just kind of brush it off and move on. Well, um, that broken toe, I had a, a, a split fracture in my fifth toe and then I had an avulsion fracture in the fourth toe, um, just, you know, life, right? <laughs> yeah. um, nothing, I don't even have a good story out of it. Uh, <laughs> but that happened back in January. And that broken toe, you know, normal physiologic and bone healing. Uh, for someone my age, eight weeks, 10 weeks, that's, that should be more than enough. But it turned into this four and a half, five month thing. And um, I went for a set of x-rays, it showed a break, we knew it was broken. So I put myself in the boot, um, I treated myself as I would of any of my patients. It wasn't getting better. The pain was still just agonizing. 
went back to the doctor. He said, you know what? Uh, we need to get you completely off of your right leg for at least two weeks. Okay. So I walked around in March and April on a peg leg. I had one leg and I'm still treating patients. I'm still getting, going to the grocery store with a scooter, with crutches, with a peg leg, spent four weeks, not even putting weight on my right foot to take a shower, to get dressed. Okay. Went back for x-rays back in April. Uh, and it, it showed signs of healing. And my doctor and I, uh, he's a good friend too. Uh, he's, an he's an orthopedic surgeon. Um, we just had a good conversation in, in the room. And he said, uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's signs of healing, but there's obviously more going on here than a broken bone, right? And we hypothesized that there is something called CRPS, C-R-P-S, and it's called complex regional pain syndrome. I'd sit in front of the fireplace at night. This is four months after the break. And my whole foot would just swell. It would turn beet red. It would look like a tomato. And you start scratching your head and saying, well, for just a broken toe, you'd expect that toe to be swollen, but you wouldn't expect the whole foot to mm. turn beet red and, and get mm. swollen. Um, and th things like I couldn't sleep with my right leg underneath the sheets because the weight of the sheet would keep me awake at night because of pain in my foot. And, and this is knowing what I know, right? So I'm like, something's just not right here. We talked about putting pins in there, stabilizing the joint, um, and said, you know, with what you're going through, if, if your foot is swelling up with a fireplace, the last thing we want to do is cut you open and put a pin in there. He said, I think the best thing for you is to literally take a Friday off, head to the Oregon coast, and go walk on the beach. No joke. We kind of laughed about it, but that was the treatment, uh, it, amongst other things. And so... Uh, went to the Oregon coast, walked on the beach, and it flared it up. I did too much. It felt so good. The, the cold water, it numbed my foot. Felt so good. I, I, I started doing balance. I started putting weight on my leg. Felt great. And uh, three hours later, it was the most agonizing pain that I'd had since <laughs> January. So um, came back, reset. Um, my fiance is a, uh, uh, she's an athletic trainer. So she deals with the acute side of sports medicine. All right. So she's, she has her master's degree and she's very knowledgeable in, in the, the area too. And to treat something like complex regional pain syndrome, you don't, you don't treat the injury. You treat the psychological aspects of the injury that we'll talk about later. And what, what in a nutshell, what winds up happening is your, you, your body becomes very sensitized to pain. And again, I'll talk about how that happens later, but it becomes very sensitized to pain. So less stimulus is needed to evoke pain or physiologic response. So how do you treat that? Because you could see where that would spiral downhill very quickly. Um, well, you got to desensitize the nervous system. So what do I mean by that? I mean, you take different objects. We took sandpaper, we took cotton, we took sheets, we took a t-shirt, we took little tiny thumbtack uh, push pins and we'd provide that stimulus on my good leg so to say, Hey brain, Hey Chris, this is how this is supposed to feel. Feel the cotton, feel the push pin, right? That's how that's supposed to feel. We move over to the injured side. Again, this is four months. The break is pretty much healed, but I'm still having immense pain. And we'd graze the toe with a cotton ball. <laughs> we would put a little push pin and just barely. All right. That wasn't so bad, was it? Right? No, 
No, it felt fine, right? Put some music in because research has shown even in the last three years, music down regulates the nervous system. It calms people down, okay? It fires those, those neurons that have analgesic effects on, on your brain, okay? On your body. So I put music on and we do that. And over time, I would, I would start to say, okay, my body would say this right leg starts to feel more like the left leg when you rub a cotton ball on it. So I was like, okay, cool. This is working, right? Um, I actually went to go visit Perk in DC. And uh, one of the first workouts that I'd actually been able to do in, in all of 2021, uh, what's, what was really cool about his gym is he had a full, the, the gym had a full length mirror, a floor to ceiling mirror. And uh, there's a strategy known as mirror therapy uh, that's more frequently used with uh, amputees, uh, with prosthetic limbs. Um, essentially, what you do is, is you, you get down to the ground and, and you imagine you, you kind of split. You're right next to the mirror and you take your good leg. So, for example, my good, let's, let's say my, my good hand right next to this mirror and you start moving my hand, or in my case, you start moving my foot back and forth, okay? And you get your other, your, your injured limb out of sight. And you start making these neural pathways. You start getting more, you start making these connections that, okay, because you're mirrored, your brain thinks that this is this hand. Ooh. So you switch it up a little bit. It's, it's, it's a little trick, it's a little brain trick. But you start firing those pathways in your brain that says, okay, the injured leg is moving. The injured leg is moving. There's no pain. There's no pain. Let's go this way. Let's go that way. And over enough repetitions, you start to develop this pathway. You start to reconnect where it was disconnected. That pain is associated or that movement is associated with pain. When I put weight on my foot, when something touches my foot, when I move my foot, I feel pain. Okay. So we take that foot out of the equation. We move this foot no pain. How cool is that? Right? So that's how we treated my broken toe. We treated it with cotton balls, with t-shirts, with push pins, with mirrors. We didn't treat it with surgery. And I have no problems in my right foot now. I have problems in the other foot, but <laughs> not this one. Um, so one week later, I went back to the Oregon coast, took another Friday off because I work for myself and uh, patients. That's the other thing too, is when, when you're in a place where you can show that you care about your patients, they've got your back too. And I said, Hey, everybody knew what I was going through. You know, you can't hide that. Um, yeah. I'm taking Friday off. I'm going to move you to, uh, to, to Thursday or Monday. Oh yeah, no problem. Went back to the Oregon coast the next week, walked on the beach. My fiance came with me. All good. Felt great. I even got a little trot. I even got a little jog. Right. And it felt great. And that was it. That was the defining moment. I walked on the beach and I was good to go. How wild is that? Okay. So I, I know I don't put my baseball career ended, but how applicable is this going to be when we start talking about pain in athletics and how that influences longevity and performance? This, so, yeah. is, this is incredible. I'm mind blown. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, digest it a little bit, chew it up. <laughs> but let that sink the, in a little bit. The um, mirror therapy is very intriguing, Chris, because I, I've done that sometimes where I'm like, 
and when I'm working out and there's mirrors there, I'm kind of trying to balance in there and like, it's kind of throw my body off. And yeah. something I like to do is working out with my shoes off and just going barefoot workouts as long as it's allowed. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I like the barefoot workout because it helps me just kind of feel grounded, use my feet, build up some strength. And it just feels better, you know, for whatever reason. Um, how can, how can this help an athlete who's coming back from an injury where we know it's more psychological than anything, especially like a Tommy John or like an ACL tear with like a soccer football player um, and all these, some of these major injuries. And then even some of the minor injuries that happen for athletes that just kind of nag on for a season, but how can we use some of these therapies or just the psychological side uh, to help cure some of these things coming back for these athletes from injury, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that, that, that right there, I mean, that's what, uh, that's what really opens the door to this. Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's wild. So there's, there's another, um, going to introduce the answer to that question with just a couple of fun facts, because you know, I, I love fun facts. I'm analytical and data driven. So uh, there was actually another study that was published in 2020 um, or 2019, I believe, something recent about back injuries in Major League Baseball. Okay, so, so again, another researcher wanted to look at the uh, physical and economic impact of Major League Baseball players, pain, injury, and what's that, what that's costing. All right, so from 2010 to 2016, we've got the six-year period. Uh, I'm going to take low back injuries because it's one of the more prevalent things both in general population and, uh, and, and in baseball, to be honest. 7% of all the players added to the disabled list between 2010 2016, uh, it was low back. The average disabled list time, average, uh, for all those players that were on the DL was 54 days. Okay. Now, that's not necessarily consecutive, it's cumulative. Okay. But nevertheless, when you figure how much the average salary is in Major League Baseball, I think it's, over, I think it's around $3 million. The economic impact, they actually did the whole uh, cost analysis of it, $1 million per injury. It's costing teams a million bucks to have a player go on the disabled list for 54 days on average, a million bucks that they're paying and not getting production. So (laughs) so the the reason why (laughs) I know the reason why I go into that, though, is being the player that is getting paid or not paid, we start to get driven by other factors. We start to get driven by external factors that influence what's going through our mind right now. Like, am I going to get back on the field? Is this the end of my, is this my contract year? Is this going to affect my contract next year? Um, Is this going to affect my spot in the rotation? Is it what, what, you know, you've got all these different thoughts now coming into you just because you went on the disabled list, okay? And, and why, honestly, some players, you know, you, you played, we all, we, all three of us have played, right? Um, uh, pretty high levels. And uh, um, no, you don't tell coaches about most of, the, most of the pain you have. You don't, tell, you don't talk about it. Nobody speaks up about it, right? You don't want to lose that spot. You don't want to lose that spot in the lineup. But you know, we'll start to see what happens when that kind of builds. But yeah, you talk about the business side of baseball. But um, so now to kind of get into answering your question here's where i'll do a little just a quick little screen share um we'll see if this works but um can you see the the slide there yeah yes Yes. pretty straightforward right 
So we have we have this linear. Historically, we've we've kind of gone through this what's called a, bio, a biomedical model of treating. Okay, so on that diagram on the left, you have this very linear correlation between a pathology. Let's say Tommy John. Let's say uh, Tommy John's actually not a great example, and you'll see why later. Um, but low back pain, my shoulders hurting, just the elbow mm. pain, um, and and the symptoms that 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 you're you're feeling. And you keep going along this trajectory, you introduce a treatment or an intervention. So, you know, an injection, physical therapy, surgery, whatever it is, and the, the course reverses, okay? Um, symptoms get better, pathology gets better, right? But what we've started to see, you know, last five, 10 years is that biomedical approach doesn't really work. And we start to get people like me who, the pathology isn't that bad. I had a broken fifth toe, but it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even uh, um, when, when you look at the image, you're like, okay, yeah, I can see why that would cause some pain, but I don't see why that would cause four months of pain. And I don't see why that would cause excruciating pain to the point you can't walk on it. Okay. Um, and number four there, again, same thing. Pathology can be, you can have really bad tissues. And what do I mean by bad tissues? I mean, you, you, you hear all the time, arthritis, uh, rotator cuff tear, degenerative disc disease, bulging disc. Um, but, and I'll go back into the point about ACL uh, re-tears a little bit later. That might be a topic of conversation for another, <laughs> another podcast, um, <laughs> because that's also something that I'm very passionate about. But um, we'll, we'll talk kind of about that in a second. When you look at number four here, pathology and symptoms, okay? The tale of two nails. So these are documented case studies, okay? And this is, these, are, these are what really, really started driving the research behind pain and pain neuroscience. On the left, okay, this is 1995. This was documented in, the, in, a, in a British journal of, um, of medicine. Construction worker, all right? He, he steps on a, a plank. Uh, while doing a job and this nail gets driven through his boot. Okay. Now he is an agonizing pain, absolutely excruciating pain. They call an ambulance. They, they try to give him morphine uh, or, or drugs that didn't calm him down. He's an agonizing pain. Um, they finally have to sedate him and they bring him to the hospital. They take him to the emergency room. Um, they, they take shears, they cut open the boot and lo and behold, What's really wild about all this is that nail split to a, it split between two of his toes. It didn't even break skin. <laughs> all right, so it didn't even break skin. They, I think they put it. They didn't have to do anything. They they cut the boot off, and they say there was no tissue damage beyond basic scratches and, and, and a skin, you know, basically a flesh wound, right? And it caused such agonizing and severe pain that he had to be sedated. How wild is that? What How heck? wild is that? You just stepped on this nail and you have this expectation that, yep, you look down at your foot and you're like, yep, that's supposed to hurt. You look yep. at the, the faces of your coworkers, the other people there, and, and they have these, these, you know, ghastly, these deadly, deathly looks on their face. Yep, that's supposed to hurt. And he feels pain. How wild is that? Oh, Look at case number two. 
Okay, this is another construction worker. So I think I think we're seeing a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was don't do construction. <laughs> yeah. no. All right, um, do real estate. Don't do construction. Um, yeah. This was back in two thousand and six. Uh, a nail gun accidentally got discharged, and it went into. You can see it. This is the X-ray. The nail went into his face. All right. This construction worker went back to work. The next day, he complained to his, his supervisor that he had a little bit of a headache, but he kept working. All right. The next day, he complained that his jaw was hurting a little bit, had a little bit of a headache. You know, brush it off. Finally, three days later, he goes to the dentist. Dentist takes an X-ray. They find this. What? Right? How wild is that? A nail gun got discharged. A nail went through his face and had nothing more than a, a headache and um, and a toothache. <laughs> okay. Oh. So how wild is that? Pathology does not always equate to symptoms. Sometimes there's a very inverse relationship. Okay. So that's that's what's really wild about this is. You know, one of my favorite questions in, in my um, in all of my patients, my 16 year olds, my 12 year olds, my 74 year olds is, uh, well, why do you think you hurt? And inevitably, half the people look at me and say, Doc, that's your job. <laughs> and I say, OK, I can I can work with that. All right. The other half, it's, um, oh, my my arthritis, my arthritis is flaring up. Um, yeah, I've had knee arthritis for years and now it's flaring up. Um, or, or it's my, I've got a herniated disc on my back. Uh, we, we've done in scans. There's a, there's a bulge disc and um, that, that's what's hurting. Okay, so what, what, what are we going to do about it? And so in that first example, I hear that. And, and that's, that's not because I, I care what your medical knowledge is. I'm trying to get a gauge of where you're at, where your head is at, what's driving your perception of this pain experience in that first example you're telling me that oh because i am older or because i have arthritis i hurt it's an x y right if then relationship mm -hmm. that you expect because i have this or because i am this i hurt what's really really cool about this graph and this chart right here is that what we start to see is that by the age of 30, over half the people in the world have disc degeneration. And bear in mind that these are thousands of patients, thousands of people who underwent an MRI that had no back pain, no back pain at all, no symptoms, no radiating pain in their leg, nothing. And we still find that 50% of them have disc degeneration. Okay. Or uh, what is it? 50, 30, 40% of people my age have a disc bulge, but they don't have pain. The body is incredibly, incredibly um, uh, resilient. And these pathologies, they, they do heal. They do absorb. Disc bulges absorb. Arthritis doesn't have to be painful just because it shows up on a scan. And so there's, there's a lot of weight that's placed upon these medical diagnoses especially, especially in sports. Um, and then there's a lot of reasons why, but it, it just goes to show you that if, if half the population can walk around 
with a disc bulge and not have pain, is that the reason for your pain? Mm. Right? We, uh, we in, back in the early 90s, and it's probably only gone, gone up since then, um, it was estimated that uh, about a third of all adolescents by the time they're 15 have reported back pain. But are a third of all adolescents by the age of 15 having disc bulges and severe arthritis? No, not really. So what's driving this perception of in this experience of pain? Okay, so that's what's really cool. What we started to shift to in the in the last, um, you know, again, say five to 10 years is more of this biopsychosocial model of, um, you guys can see the screen there. Yes, yes. Okay. It's not just the scan. It's not just the tissue. It's not just the bone or the muscle or the UCL tear. Okay. Case in point, Shohei Otani, we all know who that is. On September 5th of 2018, Shohei Otani hits two home runs in a baseball game. Earlier that day, he was told that he would need Tommy John surgery. So the dude goes out and hits two home runs with a torn UCL in his elbow. <laughs> How wild is that? Beast mode. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, and again, now that's a serious pathology, but it, for whatever reason, it wasn't causing so much pain that he had to sit on the bench that day, right? So we'll kind of, we'll kind of have a, a talk about more of these factors later on, but you can, you can start to appreciate that catastrophic thinking, woe is me, um, what's going to happen, the fear around it, has mm. this happened before and was this a really big deal before? Um, oh no, here we go again. Um, I was supposed to pitch today. It's the playoffs, what's gonna happen, right? Um, are people going to be mad at me? Are they gonna feel, hold me accountable? And we can't help but feel some of that guilt and remorse even if we know it's not our fault, right? But that all plays a factor into the pain. Okay, one of uh, one of the most interesting uh, things that I I started to to kind of see when I was first fresh out of school is uh, working in the clinic. Is I would ask people coming into the clinic, How, "How's your pain today? What's your what's your level? Zero to ten. I'd get this. I get one patient in the morning. Oh, it's a three. My neck hurts. It's a three out of ten. It's not too bad. Um, on your way to work. Yeah. Yeah. Right after this, I've got to, I've got to go to work. Well, that same patient would come back for the five o'clock slot later, later in the week. Hey, Susie, how's your pain? It really hurts today. I, I don't know why it's a, it's gotta be a seven. I mean, it's really killing me today. Susie, where do you work? I, I, my office is in downtown Seattle. How long did it take you to get here? Uh, traffic was horrible. It probably took me about 45 minutes. It probably took me an hour to get here. Traffic was terrible. It was raining. It was dark. Okay. Next time she comes in eight o'clock, Susie, how's your pain? It's a three today. So you'd start to establish this correlation between just time of day and the things that have happened and, and occurred throughout that day and say, okay, I don't know that your neck got worse in 12 hours, but the experiences that happened to you and the way that you processed them, that may have affected what you're feeling right now. Right? So, um, understanding that. And, and again, it's, Part of it is, is part of it is the responsibility of, of the athlete, the parent, and the coach, but honestly, most of the responsibility needs to be on the medical staff. 
to not just say, yeah, you've got a bulge disc in your neck, of course you're hurt. Okay, but to yeah. understand all of the things that are going through this, this person and this player's life. And that's what I love about being a PT is being able to understand the lives and not just the injuries. Right, so <laughs> that's, that's good. I think that's it. Yeah, that, that'll be clipped. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure clipped. Well, the thing yeah. you, you relate to me, Chris, because when I was playing in college, I remember my sophomore year, and this kind of led to the anxiety and the depression and, and addiction and things like that. And it was from a lower back pain, right? And it was from a degenerative yeah. disc. And hmm. I was two days away from getting hip surgery. They were going to go oh, my goodness. Arth arthroscopic uh, hip surgery, yeah. I believe is what it was. And yeah. like nine to 12 months. And I'm like prepping myself for this, this surgery. I'm like, I'm going to miss all the fall. I got to come back in the spring and just like go and raw. Like I, I, I'm not gonna be able to do this. And two days before they did an MRI on my lower back and they found the degenerative disc and realized that that's what was shooting the pain down my left leg. And I was having this like excruciating pain, trying to walk up the stairs. It was almost impossible to even get up a flight of stairs to get to my room. And I'm 19, 20 years old. <laughs> I shouldn't be feeling this pain. Right. right. And, and yeah. then it started to escalate because I was thinking about it all the time. And I'm like, well, the cold, it's cold out. And they say in the cold, it gets this and gloomy, right? Different days. But the yeah. psychological factors of, are you stressed? How's school? How's your work? How's your commute? What's the weather like? Like all these things that compound together to make us feel a certain way. It's just really eye-opening and, and really kind of affirms a lot of those beliefs that I've had about this or seen about this or read about this. And um, seeing that factor right there of just personal experience. And then for you say, hey, the same bulge, right? Nothing changed. It's just what are some of those external factors that are happening in that day? It's so good. That's all. I mean, that's, I appreciate, I appreciate that. I, I really do. I'm, you never wound up having the hip surgery, right? No, thankfully, thankfully. Thank now goodness. I've got a cortisone and boom, everything's been fine since. <laughs> it's like, Hey, do some Perfect. PT, get your, get your mind yeah. right. Uh, it's been good. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the, um, the, the cold weather. I'll, I'll touch on that in a second, but um, it's, it's, I, I'm kind of nodding my head along to your, your story <laughs> there because there's a study in 2009, um, 74 people, uh, I can't remember their average age. It, it was it was fairly young. It was in the 30s, 40s age group. Um, and they had the same image. And of course, the study kind of separates, uh, they, they standardize it. Uh, but but they separated 74 people out into two different groups. They had a microdisectomy to which, which basically in, in, in lay terms, that's basically where they, they go in. It's a very minimally invasive operation. Um, they remove just a very small piece of the disc that is bulging out onto the spinal cord and the nerves, the nerve roots that uh, cause that pain that may radiate down your legs, the pain in your back. Um, and, and so again, based, hear me out. I'm not saying that there's no bearing to the medical diagnosis and, and the tissue correlation. Of course, of course there is, but there, there's more to the picture, right? So they both groups, all 74 people, MRI shows a bulging disc and they all have this complaint of pain or radiating pain, numbness and tingling, uh, sciatic, you know, back of the leg, calf pain. Um, and all 74 people underwent the same procedure. Okay. After the end of the procedure, half of the participants, and I, I kid you not, half the participants received the fragment of disc that was removed in a little bile. It's a little glass, little glass bile, a little tube that had a fragment of disc that the surgeon operatively removed, half of the patients received it, 
half of the patients did not. At the six-month follow-up, it is astonishing how there is such a wide difference between the reported outcomes that the people who received their physical disc fragment, 91% of them re reported improvements in pain versus 80% of the other group. 88% paresthesia, that means uh, uh, abnormal sensations, okay? So whether it's numbness and tingling, uh, pain and, or, or decreased quality of sensation, 88% repo reported improvements in that versus 62% in the other group. And then look at that, reduced analgesic, reduced over-the-counter and prescription-based medication use, 92%, almost everybody in the group that received their disc in the bile were reporting reduced analgesic use, and yet still 30% of the other group were taking something for pain. Same procedure, same diagnosis, vastly different outcomes. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's just insane. And it, and it kind of relates to I, how big of a role your mind plays just in everything in life. Um, whether you're Absolutely. trying to recover from an injury, whether you're trying to figure out how to perform on the field every single day. I mean, it's, it's huge. And I guess the one question I kind of want to dive into, I know you have yeah. more, but um, what, there's always this notion that players should suck it up and play through injuries and things like that. So how do we find this balance between um, going out there and playing with an injury versus, okay, be sitting on the sideline thinking you have more pain than you really do based on your mind? It's a great, great question. Um, yeah, so it, it's, um, you have 45 miles of nerves in a human body. If you took all of your nerves and stretched them out side by side, you have 45 miles of them. <laughs> wow. Okay, so they're little <laughs> strings inside your body and, and all together, all said and done, you have 45 miles. So. That's an that's a very very great question, Jared. And and um and again, let me know if this is something that we need to open up another another date on because um it, it's it's probably more of a loaded question than you realize, and I, yeah. I think you realize it's a loaded question. <laughs> um, understanding what is damaging and what is not, the the short answer. Now, first off, without pain, we'd be dead, right? That's the, that's the short answer. It's yeah. an evolutionary phenomenon. It's a higher level complex cortical thing that humans experience that not all animals do in the same way that, that we know of, right? If, if we didn't have pain, we would be dead. Okay. And that is, that is the short answer of things. Um, the, it, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, let, let's take a sprained, let's take a sprained ankle. For example, you, you're crossing a street and you trip and you spray, you come down hard on your ankle and it's a busy street, you're a jaywalking, and all of a sudden you see a bus coming along. Uh, you see that bus, you interpret that bus coming, you're not sure that that bus is going to stop in time. Does your ankle hurt? No, absolutely not. You get up and you run to the sidewalk, okay? Now, when you get to the sidewalk, your ankle is in immense pain. You look down, it's puffy, it's starting to get a little bit bruised, and um, you can't put weight on it. But in that brief moment in time where your brain perceived this this threat of something a lot more dangerous than the sprained ankle you didn't you didn't necessarily feel pain right and so it's it's really it's really interesting um 
you're right that and then again that that we could take that a step further and say well how much pain and again pain is very subjective yeah. uh that same sprained ankle for you might hurt a ton and for me it might not hurt at all okay so for the same amount of tissue damage i could play through it and and you can't so again number one kind of going back to pathology versus uh damage or symptoms right um how do you how do you know when to just push through it um well we know that pain changes the way that you move okay it, it just it just does what what happens because your pain is your body's way of saying it's it's an alarm something's going on here now remember pain is not an input we don't we don't feel pain we experience pain okay we don't we don't see i don't see a, com, a computer I, I it's an experience right my the cones and rods in my eyes take in light they take in shapes they come into my brain my brain processes it based on the experiences that i've had in life that say okay i recognize the shape i recognize these colors this is a computer that's jared you're austin we know this sound is the same way my my ears they my my inner ear they they hear sorry they they perceive waves right so sound waves come in volumes come in my brain processes and then the output becomes a meaningful exchange of that is a car that is jared talking that is my heater okay so i don't imminently hear a car i hear waves and then i process it and then i right i experience it so the pain is the same way you have all of these these inputs and these these experiences that come into play your brain processes it and then it dumps this output of pain so again, it's this alarm system saying, we're getting information from your tissues. You sprained an ankle, you have swelling, okay? You have, absolutely, you have tissue damage, okay? All those receptors in your ankle or your elbow are sending this information to your brain, but your brain processes it and it fires neurons and impulses back down that say, okay, that's something that we need to be concerned about that's pain. Okay. Um, now, as part of that protective response, pain is just one element of that. But you both have experienced pain before. And, and Austin, what were you a pitcher? What did what position did you play? Uh, infield. So first base, infield. third base. Yeah. Okay. I'm, uh, do you ever have any upper body, any shoulder, any elbow injuries? Yeah, I had a, when I was 12, torn, well, slight tear rotator cuff. Yeah. And it was yeah. so painful. It was like somebody stabbed me right in my shoulder and I sure. couldn't throw. Couldn't throw, right? What, yeah. what could, maybe, maybe you could do a little underarm sort of thing, but trying to raise your arm or especially trying to get back into that, that lag position with a torn rotator. And I could swing, but I, I couldn't do that, right? I was swinging for right. those 12 months, but for 12 months, no throwing overhand, but you're right, underhand, yeah. you can kind of do it. You kind of do it. So, so what do athletes tend to do because of that fear, that catastrophization, the woe is me, the what's going to happen? What do we start to do? Well, if my normal throwing slot is back here and I've got a bit of shoulder pain here, what, what am I doing? What, maybe I drop down a little bit. 
maybe I don't even do it on purpose, but maybe my brain does that because it knows that when I come into this lag position, this late cocking phase of, of throwing, that's going to hurt. Mm. So what does my brain do? My brain sends that output back that says, okay, well, this is painful. That's painful. That's painful. We learn from it and we say, well, that's less painful. That's less painful. That's less painful. And we start to develop this motor pattern. And just like anything that you do, the more you do it, the more automatic it gets. I was going to say the better you get, but no matter how many times I swing a golf club, I don't get better at it. So um, I just, I just reinforce the same terrible swing over and over. But that's my point is that um, at what point then does starting to change your arm slot, even from here to here, or starting to shrug that shoulder just a little bit because you can't use your rotator cuff. Where does that start to play in the fact, okay, now I'm starting to get some neck pain because I'm cheating because I'm compensating. Maybe I'm starting to get that, that UCL strain because of the way I'm, I'm applying force through my elbow because of the shoulder. Um, so, so kind of the long roundabout answer, Jared is, is, um, getting, getting early help, getting, addressing the acute, no matter how insignificant it feels, it is affecting you. Yeah. It is. Because I know that you can do it. I know that you can still throw or swing with that bulge disc or with that partially torn rotator cuff. You, you can, especially if you just tell yourself, suck it up, suck it up, right? Um, and, and again, examples of people who, who can, right? Um, there was uh, back in... Who's the kicker? I got it. I got it. Hold on. Of course I've got it. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't have it. (laughs) Jack Youngblood, 1979. Jack Youngblood. He's a kicker for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you hear examples of this all the time, but he played all three playoff games uh, and the pro bowl with a fractured leg. Mm. I think it was the Steelers. doesn't matter. He was quoted at the end of the season and he said, um, uh, it, it wasn't about the pain. There's pain in every snap. It was about the leadership aspect and what my responsibility was. Now, I'm not advocating to go out and, and <laughs> kick a football with a fractured leg, but um, I, again, that was his his ability to put that aside. But you know, is that is that good? Yeah, not necessarily, right? Um, it's it's wild. Uh, I mean, but I think I think what needs to happen, and major league teams are starting to get there now. Um, but but having a medical staff that understands the biopsychosocial model. Mm-hmm and applies that to the athletes more than the biomedical model and having people on the staff that are very in tune with what's happening in players' lives um, and being able to recognize, because players, you know it, athletes are not going to willingly take themselves out unless it is so bad that you can't lift your arm. But could it have been prevented? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, this, this is so huge. I feel like we need to have a part two at some there's point. There's got to be a part two. Yeah. I'd be happy to. <laughs> We're already I've got, I've got more. Uh, yeah. I think that that more directly answers your question too. So um, I'd be, I'd be happy to, to kind of go into some of that stuff. uh, More of the less anecdotal, less facts, and just more of the, okay, the what and the how, right. I'd I'd be happy to do that. That's great. Yeah. 
And also, I'll kick it off to you if you have one more question before the game. Yeah, or, yeah I think we'll, we'll yeah. just dive right into the game, man, because we got to get a, a part two. <laughs> we got to get a part two. <laughs> sounds, I want to dive way great. more into this. This has been very helpful. I'm writing down these notes cool. and I'm just taking them because it, it's like pairing my personal experience with what I'm seeing with athletes and how we can even go help them experience that. Yeah. Cause we get a lot of athletes that come back and they're like, uh, the main question from a parent or a coach is, I, she's working back from an injury or he's working back from an injury and, and it's just not really trusty. I can't plan on it. So all this stuff is so helpful. And there's so many clips mm-hmm. that we can share with our audience that yeah. is going to really help them. But um, let's dive into the cool. game, baby. Let's go uh, oh, so on it or off it, Chris. I'll explain it. You're either on it or you're off it. And you got to give us a, a one sentence, real quick, brief explanation of why, of why. Ready for this? <laughs> I'm pumped. Let's go. All right, first one, and I kind of, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Black coffee. Uh, depends on the day, but on it, like I'll drink coffee. I'll drink coffee any time of day, and I'll drink it black. I'll drink it white. I'll drink it gray. I mean, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll drink it. Um, but, but like you said, the experience plays into how much I'm going to enjoy it, right? Yeah. So I'm going to drink black coffee at Starbucks. I'm not going to drink black coffee at home unless I don't have anything put in it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, eggnog. Eggnog. With or without libation. <laughs> um, either. I would, either. How about in my black coffee? <laughs> okay, Generally cool. speaking, All right. Generally speaking, often um, I don't I don't mind it, but again, it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back to the mind over matter sort of thing. I I get a little squirmish when I think about you know egg whites and, and consuming that, but I love the flavor of it. So yeah. I'm I'm on it if I don't think about it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. Um, skiing or snowboarding? On it. I'm, I'm terrible, but I love it. And that's, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I will not snow. And again, it's, it's psychological. I don't, I'm not going to snowboard in Washington. I'm just not going to do it. Um, but my, one of my favorite trips that I've ever taken was uh, 2018 or uh, 2000, winter 2017 snowboarding in Zermatt, Switzerland. Okay, nothing beat it. Nothing beat it. You've got the Alps. You've got, um, You've got opera ski down there. You've got elevator lifts to take you from the town up to. You've got three countries that you could ski into, um, all from the same resort. Uh, and, and I'm just a newbie on the trail. Um, I can't even get off the, the lift. But boy, I, if you if you take me to Switzerland, I am on it. <laughs> that is sweet. Now I got that's going on the bucket list. That's going on the bucket list. Yep. Um, yep. Cool. Uh, cardio. On it. On it. So, because we like fun facts, right? We We love them. We love them. (laughs) We love fun facts. A six mile, a six, I'm sorry, a, um, about a six, I think it was six miles, has the same, don't quote me on the number. The number is not what's important. I'll have to fact check. You'll have to fact check me later. But the, uh, a six mile run or sustained cardiovascular activity for about that much time, whatever you do, about an hour's worth, okay? Um, it, 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 it provokes the same amount of analgesic response and dopamine, you know, serotonin, endorphin response in the human body that I, I can't remember if it was 10 milligrams, but a dose of morphine. One hour of sustained, and it's, it can be slow, it doesn't have to be hit, it doesn't have to kill you. It, 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 it uh, 
um, releases the same analgesic effect as a, a small dose of morphine. So I'm on it, but it's got. But I hate treadmills and I hate stationary bikes. I'm way too dependent on my environment. So. Yes, I gotta be outside. I gotta be outside. Yeah. Um, pickleball. What is it? Pickleball. Have you ever played pickleball? pickleball. I have. Um, I'm on it. It's fun. It's it fun. is. Um, especially when you're as competitive as I am. Um, it's fun. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, SEC it's something I can be good at it. It doesn't involve hitting uh, a little five ounce object coming at you at 90 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. In moving and swerving. Yeah. Um, SEC football. Off it. Ooh, off it, okay. Maybe on it if I was there. I think I'm more of an in-person experience. I I love I love going to sporting events and I love the vibe of of sporting events. I don't even care if I understand the sport. Like I'll go watch rugby in Ireland. Um, one of my favorite things was watching the um, collegiate hockey game in Austria. And I don't speak German or Dutch. I don't really understand hockey, but that was fun. So, so if I was down there, maybe, but I'm not going to watch that on my own mission. <laughs> I love it. Um, SpongeBob, taking it back to the childhood, little SpongeBob. Off it. Oh, no. SpongeBob. <laughs> I know. I had a, I had a very, um, I, I had a very uh, accelerated growth as a child. I never really got much into um, uh, cartoons or um TV, to be honest. So um, I, w- I was always out hiking with hiking or fishing with my dad. Um, so I, I just, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, next one, journaling. Is it weird that I'm on it, but I don't do it? Because I, no, not at all. I, 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 pre- I preach, but I don't practice, right? Um, and I, I've been doing it more uh, probably in, in the last year because I've had time to, but um, very sporadic, very here and there. But it's. I number one, I have terrible memory, so if I don't if I don't write stuff down, I don't remember it. Um, and it but number two, I think to the points that we've made all along, um, writing things down, and even if it's just a word vomit, um, and being able to go back and refine that later, and understanding how you felt at that moment in time, um, or it doesn't even have to be emotional journaling. Um, but but yeah, it's been really helpful. So, Good. I'm on it. Um, I like that. Um, the last two. Heights. Heights. So you all know, uh, you all seen Free Solo? Yeah. <laughs> I got anxiety yeah. Alex yeah. Honnold. Yeah. Um, what's really funny about this, there, he does a segment in um, in GQ. Uh, it was on YouTube, and, and he basically comes into GQ studio, and he analyzes five different um, climbing clips from movies, from Hollywood films. And... Um, this is a quote by him, almost verbatim, but he fact check me later. Uh, he says some of the, the point, or to the effect of um, most people are, are um, when, when you ask them if they're afraid of heights, they'll tell you yes. Um, but it's it's not really the it's not being up high that anybody is afraid of. It's the it's the fear of being up high and then being on a cliff and falling said and dying and he says that's reasonable he said if i if i thought that i was going to die i'd be scared too the trick is to make sure you don't fall so heights am i on it or am i off it i'm on it i'm on it i love heights but i also love the security of knowing i'm not gonna fall so i like enclosures (laughs) yes where i'm safe uh last one tis the season christmas music 
off it. Oh, off man. it. Unless we're talking like the, we're talking more of the Frank Sinatra and, um, and, and, and the, the OGs, the originals. I can't do the, I can't do the K-pop Christmas stuff, the department store, JC Penny. Um, I can do Black, Nat King Cole. Yeah, yeah no, the NC Christmas edition. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so mostly off it. But, and maybe, oh, maybe even, even then only on Christmas Eve. So <laughs> there you go. It gotta be in the spirit. Gotta be in the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, this was awesome, man. We definitely gotta get you back on for round two. This is incredible. There's so much more to unpack, but just for your expertise, man, and breaking it down in such simple terms too, and being able to provide so much information for a lot of people, it's so valuable. Uh, we really appreciate your time, man. I know you're busy and got a lot going on, but thank you for what you do. Thanks for helping. And uh, this was amazing, man. This was great. I appreciate you all having me. Um, yeah, this this is this is fun. This is a really really um, important topic uh, to be talking about right now, um, especially and, and just to kind of wrap thing, bring everything full circle, and, and just kind of set set the stage for for what we might talk about later on. But kind of going back to that article about the pressures of of uh, baseball players and, and youth athletes, even as as low as the the or not low, but as early as the high school level, um, and uh, and again push when, as we start to continue to push our physiological boundaries as human beings, um, because we've seen this, this shift and this change in what players are able to, how they're able to perform bat speed, arm speed, hundred mile an hour, fastballs coming out of high school, more and more and more. Um, we're really starting to push our physiological limits and injuries are going to be even more prevalent. I think, uh, and overuse injuries, uh, especially. So uh, I'll leave you with this one last thing here and, and then you can cut me off. Um, I was at a sports med conference about uh, three years ago and, and the speaker uh, was talking about shoulder surgeries and opened up the conversation with um, asking this room full of medical doctors and, and physical therapists and rehab specialists. Um, what, what do you think is the, uh, um, uh, okay, so we, we take major league pitchers. Okay. There's a study. We take major league baseball pitchers. The criteria is that there is longevity. They've, they've pitched 1500 innings or more in their careers. Okay. So they've had a long, extensive career. What, what is the one thing that kind of ha they, they all have in common? And you start to get all these biomedical uh, responses. Oh, their shoulder looked like this, or they, uh, they had this much strength or whatever it is. And I said, no, really the, the, the main thing that predicted, uh, um, 1500 innings or more in the major leagues was, uh, that they, they came from cold weather States. Hmm. Wow. Because they had to shut down during the off season. So you get this influx in, in this, this breed of talent from Arizona and California and Texas, even here in Seattle with driveline baseball. Um, and, and the talent is undeniable. But when you're, you're pushing the boundaries of what your shoulder is able to do by training for 12 months of the year, um, you're not going to make it to the major leagues. You're going to blow out. So it's, it's wild. So it's an important conversation to have. So draft from Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> draft all your players from Michigan. Draft from the cold lands. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, man, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for all you do. And, and JP, thanks for being on here. And uh, we look forward to round two of this thing. Let's go. Right on. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. 
Chris Gehring dominated uh, the dude. I we could sit there and chat with him all day just because of you know the the brain. The guy's a smart guy and, and is able to kind of put it in to you're in my terms, you know, if we're saying it like that, right? So, yeah. what'd you think about the interview with Chris? Yeah, I think we need a round two ASAP, Chris. So we appreciate that for sure. That's definitely going to happen. I really like the emotional side of things of coming back from injuries and um, for athletes, right? Getting back out there on the field. They're just trusting in their, their, their selves and their training and the things that they're doing. Uh, that was really impactful to me. And then just his, his mindset, man, he has so many good terms that are usually pretty big, but for him, he breaks them down really simply and puts them in terms that we can all understand and that we can all apply. And it's not just for an athlete, it's for the everyday person and how he can approach somebody and his terminology and then how you build that relationship with someone so that they trust you. And then from there, they can trust themselves. It was really powerful. So uh, Chris, we're excited to get you out to some camps here soon to do some uh, athlete pre-injury screening that you talked about. I know we've talked a lot about that off air too. I'm getting some of those things rolling up. So that'd be really exciting for our athletes just to see hey, how logical or how 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 prone to injury are you and to like, what can you do to help prevent injuries in the first place? So uh, really good interview, man. Yeah. Uh, and we can't thank him enough for coming on because it's clear why the guy's successful, right? It's, he stays with what his process is and he's learned a lot and uh, he's able to share it. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. We, and you had mentioned pickleball. We got to get on a game of pickleball next time we catch him too. Let's so, go, let's go. um, Again, that's going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your support. We're getting into our camp season. So if we're coming to a town near you, make sure you pop in and say hi to us. Uh, if we're not, make sure you get on our radar. Tell us where we need to go because we're starting to plug some camps in uh, and some real cool events that some communities that we are so excited to be a part of. So uh, thank you all for being with us and we'll catch you next time.